Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, it's a listener questions episode. You send me your questions via email or Twitter, I guess, sometimes, and I do my best to answer them. If you are listening to this and you're thinking, hey, I have a question, why aren't you answering my question? Well, you can write to me at CreatureFeaturePod at gmail.com. So on to the first listener question. Hey, Katie, I was just curious. Do you know if any other animals lose their hair as they age? And if yes, is it like with humans where it's super selective, which hair disappears and which keeps growing strong right until we croak? This is from PK. Thank you for the question. Baldness is common in humans, and uh, it is actually found in other animals, uh, either as a permanent and useful feature, such as the bald heads of vultures and buzzards, which keeps them clean when they are feeding on carrion. Uh, there's also the bald skin of naked mole rats uh, and, of course, elephants, which, you know, they, their skin, they do have hair on their skin, but it's very thin and fine. Um, but these are evolutionary traits. These have... Uh, adapted over a long period of time. And so uh, it is something that benefits these animals. Um, but uh, there is, I think the kind of um, conception of baldness in humans is something that changes over time due to age, due to genetics, uh, environment, and hormones. So in humans, pattern baldness uh, is a type of baldness that occurs during aging and usually follows a pattern. It is hereditary and it is typically more pronounced in people assigned male at birth than in female, but it occurs for both males and females. Uh, what happens is the hair follicles shrink over time and the hair becomes shorter and thinner until it stops growing uh, thick and full like it used to. So the follicle isn't dead, but the hair is so thin and fine, it is no longer 
visible. And so the reason that pattern baldness isn't as common in uh, furry animals like, you know, your cats or what have you, is that if they have fur, generally there's a good evolutionary reason for it. And there are selective pressures for them to keep that fur. In humans, uh, the hair on our head might keep us marginally warmer or offer some sun protection, but it's not as critical to our survival, uh, especially given our ingenuity and our social behaviors and being able to invent things like hats. So uh, we are able to sustain a large population of people with baldness. Uh, so the mechanics of how pattern hair loss works in humans relates to the sensitivity of a keratin protein to the androgen hormone and the lack of this keratin protein on human scalps. So this is why you can have a hairy chest or back or other parts, uh, as well as like a fully luxurious beard while also having a bald head. The scalp doesn't have the same type of keratin protein as these other parts of the body, and so a different type of sensitivity to androgen. So while androgen can cause hair growth on other parts of the body, it can actually uh, overstimulate and cause hair loss on the scalp. Androgen can actually shorten the growth cycle of hair on the scalp, and that inhibits hair growth uh, while, you know, still growing hair elsewhere on the body. Uh, this is also why trans people who take male hormones can both gain the ability to grow a beard or other body hair, but can also paradoxically uh, cause baldness on the scalp. Uh, not, not always, but sometimes. Uh, again, it has something to do with genetics. Um, that is why pattern baldness is also called androgenetic alopecia. So animals can experience baldness uh, due to stress or mange, right? Uh, mange is a skin infection caused by mites, uh, and it can cause hair loss all over the animal's body. A lot of the cryptid sightings that people document, like the chupacabra, are typically coyotes, dogs, or foxes affected by mange, which alters their appearance. Uh, but this is kind of different from human balding, right? Like human balding is not due to a disease. It is just a natural genetic predisposition to the hair follicles shrinking in response to androgen. So are there animals who experience this kind of pattern baldness? Uh, the same kind that occurs in humans where it happens as you age? And yes, actually it does. Uh, there is an animal called the stump-tailed macaque. It is a primate found in South and Southeast Asia. Uh, it has a red hairless face, a stubby tail, and shaggy brown fur. Both male and female stump-tailed macaques experience pattern baldness as they age on their heads. So their baldness is thought to be caused by similar factors uh, that affect human baldness. So like uh, the androgenetic alopecia that occurs in humans. Um, also, there are certain breeds of domesticated dogs, usually short-haired uh, short and purebred dogs, such as dachshunds, who also have uh, pattern baldness, but it's not usually just like on the top of their head. It, it would be on the ears, chest, and back legs. So it, yeah, it does occasionally occur in other animals, but it is way more common in humans.
So yes, it does occur in other animals, but yeah, it's it's relatively rare. It's kind of an interesting, uh, somewhat unique thing that occurs in humans and the other examples that I mentioned. All right, on to the next listener question. Hello, Katie. Long time, first time. I just found out about the morning gecko and my mind can't comprehend them. Have you done an episode on them in the past? Uh, and I don't remember it. If you haven't done an episode on the morning gecko, would you please? I don't understand how they clone themselves. How did they evolve that ability? Are there any evolutionary advantages to being able to clone yourself? And are there other animals that can do the same thing or something similar? Thank you. And this is from Tuck. So, hey, Tuck, thank you for the really cool question. This is a great question. There are a few species of reptiles who can do the same thing as the morning gecko, who can reproduce asexually. And there are a lot of animals who do so. Uh, or go through cycles of cloning and sexual reproduction, like aphids, like coral. So uh, whiptail lizards uh, are a- another reptile who reproduce asexually and are entirely female. They're very similar in terms of how their sexual reproduction works to the morning gecko. So whiptail lizards use three sets of chromosomes to create heterozygotic offspring. So all this means is that... Uh, you know, we have pairs of matching chromosomes and each chromosome has the same number of alleles and alleles that line up with each other, kind of like a, a zipper lines up with another half of the zipper. So for heterozygotic organisms, the aligning alleles uh, do not are not the same. They uh, can be slightly different. So imagine like a zipper where each little tooth represents an allele and you have the left zipper and the right zipper, and these are each chromosomes. And each tooth of the zipper is like a different color. In this example, color is a stand-in for like nucleotide sequence of the allele. So in monozygotic animals, each zipper tooth is matched with the same color of zipper tooth on the opposite side. But in heterozygotic animals, each zipper tooth is matched with a different colored tooth, uh, and they can still zip together. It still functions. And so this is how you get sort of dominant and recessive genes interacting with each other. You can have uh, a recessive allele, maybe that is uh, negative or something, that gets overrode by a dominant allele, and then it can protect you from something like a uh, rare disease. Uh, and so um, in the case of whiptail lizards, they can actually create this heterozygotic zipper effect even through clonal offspring by having three sets of chromosomes rather than the usual two. And so they give their offspring twice the number of chromosomes than sexually reproducing animals give their offspring. Uh, so now let's talk about the morning geckos since this was brought up in the question. Uh, they are from Southeast Asia, but they are invasive to the Americas and Australia. It is a small brown gecko who looks pretty plain, but uh, their reproductive cycle is really fascinating. Like the whiptail lizards, they are typically an all-female species. Uh, occasionally, they will give birth to an oopsie male baby. Uh, usually, this offspring cannot reproduce. And so, yeah, the, these, these geckos use parthenogenesis to reproduce. It is asexual reproduction from an unfertilized egg. And rather than combine their genes with a male, 
they will shuffle their own genetic material to reproduce, just like the whiptail lizard. They are also triploid, so that means that they have uh, three sets of chromosomes, just like the whiptail lizard, uh, and that allows them to have their offspring be heterozygotes. So why is it so important to be a heterozygote? Well, this allows some genetic diversity to avoid deleterious alleles from stacking up. So say you have an allele that actually causes an issue, having an opposite allele on another chromosome that's slightly different can actually protect an organism from sort of mistakes stacking up. But because these geckos, the morning gecko and species like the whiptail lizard, are still clonal and they aren't able to shuffle and replenish their genetic library like sexually reproducing animals do, they are still vulnerable to things like environmental change or disease because if one of these geckos is vulnerable to something happening, say uh, the temperature changing slightly or some fungal infection happening and it has a vulnerability to it, well, so does all of the rest of the population because they're genetically so similar, if not identical, uh, so they will be affected in similar ways uh, whereas a population that has more genetic diversity uh, has more of a chance of there being an individual or individuals who have some adaptation or difference that allows them to deal with environmental stressors. So the question would be, why would you ever want to be a clonal species? Well, I mean, the main thing is just that you don't have to date. You don't have to be in the dating pool. Uh, not having to find a partner or compete to find a partner means that you can simply drop your little lizard pants and lay an egg when the conditions are right. This allows them greater ability to reproduce without constraints. So this is one of the reasons they're such an invasive species. All they need is one individual to land on an island or new continent to establish a population there. They don't even need to find uh, a partner to reproduce. So that is a benefit. Um, on, but then, you know, the, so these, these geckos and lizards have kind of compensated for the fact that clones are less genetically diverse by using that three chromosome trick. Uh, but other species, I, I mentioned earlier, like aphids, uh, coral, they will have both asexual and sexual reproduction. And sometimes it happens in seasonal cycles or depending on the environment. And that's another way that a species can try to compensate for the downsides of both sexual and asexual reproduction. So like with sexual reproduction, you, you know, you have to find a partner. It can be tricky uh, and you can't create as many offspring as quickly. Whereas with asexual reproduction, you can create a lot of offspring. And so ha kind of combining both systems for these organisms allows them to introduce some genetic diversity while also pumping out a lot of babies, which is, you know, important if you're an aphid because, gosh, you're just a tiny little green jelly bean of the natural world. Everybody likes to eat you, especially ladybugs. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will answer another couple listener questions. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, 
and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, Right. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, on to the next email. I have a burning question. Why is dog skin like that? You can just grab a handful of dog skin. You can't do that to a human. It hurts, but dogs like it. You can grab fists full of dog skin on the back of their neck, which makes sense for scruffing puppies, but you can also do it on their butt, legs, and belly. It's like it's hardly attached. The only place you can do that on a human is the elbows. And it's the same with cats, too. I don't know for sure, but I was traumatized by Michael Moore's Roger and Me, and I'm guessing that you can grab a fistful of bunny skin, too. How come some animal skin is all loose like that? Thanks, Will. Well, Will, I have not seen that movie, and I don't know what you're referring to, and I'm going to keep it that way because I do like bunnies. So yeah, as you pointed out, dogs, bunnies, cats, a lot of other animals actually have looser skin than humans. Like if you try to sort of scruff your own neck, you're going to have a bad time. And as you pointed out in your question, uh, one reason that dogs, bunnies, and cat skin is loose on their neck is that as puppies and kittens, they can easily be transported by the neck by their mother. Now, don't do that with adult dogs or cats or, well, actually, I don't know too much about handling rabbits. Um, but yeah, if you scruff a, an animal that is an adult without supporting them properly, you can hurt them because it's really only meant for kittens, uh, and puppies because they're lighter. And so there's less pressure on that neck scruff. Um, so yeah, always, always, uh, grab your animal's skin <laughs> with care. Uh, you, you can't, like, if you own a dog, you kind of know, like, you can usually like sort of massage your dog's neck and like there's skin that kind of is loose there and, uh, they're they're happy enough to have their skin kind of massaged in a way that would maybe be uncomfortable for a human. Um, but you know, always always be gentle with your dog skin because even though it's looser, 
it can still be sensitive, especially in places like on their bellies or on their haunches. Um, but yeah, so uh, it is definitely looser than human skin. And loose skin in animals has a variety of purposes, including protection. So loose skin around the throat or other vital organs can prevent an animal from being injured or killed if they're clawed or bitten by another animal. Uh, so basically their skin will be grabbed while their organs will be safe. In fact, some animals go to the extreme when it comes to this type of defense. Uh, the hagfish have, which are basically these like deep sea fish that look like gross slimy tubes. And hagfish have such loose, detached skin, they're basically like a long, tough, mucousy water balloon filled with organs, which makes it really hard for a predator to puncture their internal organs because they can grab them, but they're basically just like grabbing the skin while the organs shift around inside them. Uh, so this is protection for the hagfish. Another interesting species is the uh, African spiny mouse. So African spiny mice have this adaptation, which is detachable skin. Their skin can actually be built, pulled off and grow back, allowing them to escape predation uh, by the skin of their teeth, which I guess technically it's just the skin everywhere. But it's sort of like that uh, the, the technique that some lizards have where their tails can pop off. Uh, so yeah, it's their skin can basically come off, come loose, and the mouse can live another day, it regrows the skin, uh, and is able to survive predation. So really, there's a lot of good reasons to have loose skin. So the better question is why humans and some other animals have really tight skin, since it puts us at greater risk of a predator or competitor biting our organs, right? We don't have that same defense technique that, say, a dog has. So humans and some animals, like pigs, have very firmly attached skin. Actually, pig skin is similar to humans, and it's often used in research uh, sort of to examine it in place of human skin because of how similar it is. Uh, so... We also have a limited paniculus carnosus, which is a thin layer of muscle attached to the skin. So you have you noticed like your dog or a horse can like twitch its hind legs, say like a fly lands on a horse, a horse's butt and its skin just kind of like flicks around, twitches around to kind of ward off this fly. Uh, we can't really do that. We have a very limited um, muscle control of our skin. And so, you know, this is a limited thing that uh, we cannot do. So why, again, why have we lost this ability? So uh, this is, it's a big question. So one of the possible benefits of more firmly attached skin may have to do with our need for sweat glands, you know, like maybe we are more kind of endurance hunters. We need to have a lot of sweat glands. We need uh, to be able to have our skin get kind of like evenly coated in sweat to cool off if we're doing sort of these, this sort of endurance hunting. Um, also, uh, it could have something to do with the immune function of our skin, uh, honestly, I am not entirely certain why this is, and I really want to find out more. 
Uh, if there are any dermatologists or skin experts out there who have an answer, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. In the meantime, I will continue to keep my eyes peeled for skin news. That's right. I will keep reading the news to see if any more discoveries come out about human skin and why why we don't got loose, saggy, baggy skin. Seems like it'd be fun. Could just kind of like slide around in it, you know? Can you imagine if we had naked mole rat skin and we were just all... No, there would be no more marketing to get rid of wrinkles because we'd all have wrinkles by design and we'd think they look sexy. And that would be great. It'd be liberating. We should be allowed to have wrinkles and age. In fact, we should come out all Benjamin Buttony and just get older. That's how I feel. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, Right. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's move on to another listener question. So here it is. Hi, Katie. I just saw this short video of a spider-tailed horned viper and was truly horrified, but I thought it might inspire you to do a show on some of the most amazing or horrifying cases of mimicry. This is from Amanda M. Hi, Amanda. So the spider-tailed horned viper is indeed an amazing mimic. It is a viper that lives in the mountains of Iran and Iraq with a tail tip that looks uncannily like a spider. Even with these little sort of dingly bits that look like legs. So it will wiggle this tip of its tail until it grabs the attention of a bird or other small insectivore. Uh, and the bird will come down, try to eat the spider. But hey, that's just part of a snake. And then at this point, the viper will strike and it will get its lunch. 
so I did actually talk about this uh, snake a while back on an episode called The Go Home Nature, You're Drunk, which aired August 15th in 2019. So that was a really long time ago. I was just a little baby, little baby podcaster in my little podcasting diapers. I didn't know what I was doing at that point. But yeah, you can listen to it. It's uh, Go Home Nature, You're Drunk, August 15th, 2019. Uh, but yeah, I definitely will do more cases of horrifying mimicry. I love mimicry. I think it's really fascinating. Uh, so yeah, keep your ears peeled for that. I guess you don't peel your ears. What's the term for that? Keep your ears perked? We can't even perk our ears. We've lost so much through evolution in terms of moving our skin and our ears around. All right. So last listener question. One question I have is why some sloths have to climb down to the ground to poop exposing them to overwhelming danger. Why don't they just poop from the skies like most birds, uh, which is a worse calamity to your hat than most droppings? Uh, so Michael D. from Sacramento, thank you for this question. I always love a poop question. Keep them coming. So before I answer the question directly, here's some background that will help you understand. There is this interesting thing that happens when sloths descend and poop. They are able to uh, facilitate the life cycle of a symbiotic moth that lives on the sloth's fur. The moth that lives in the sloth's fur actually poops on the sloth and will die sometimes in its fur, which sounds gross, like you have a bunch of moth poop and corpses in your fur. Uh, but actually, what that does is provide fertilizer for another symbiote that lives on the sloth. Green algae. So green algae lives on the sloth. You can actually see algae sometimes on sloth. They'll have a greenish tint to their fur. And this algae feeds on the moth droppings or even the moth corpses. And the algae uh, is beneficial to the sloth because it grows on the sloth's skin and fur. And the sloth can actually absorb vitamins and nutrients through its skin from this algae that it otherwise can't get through its diet. So uh, ecologist Jonathan Pauly and his team uh, at the University of Wisconsin think that this algae-moth connection may be a reason for the sloth's inefficient pooping method of climbing all the way down from the tree onto the ground. So Pauly describes the sloth descending the tree to poop as, quote, it's like if you had to go to the bathroom and you were programmed to go run a 5K on the interstate before you could go to the bathroom, which, you know, man, I've I've been camping and the worst part of camping is like trying to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, either walking all the way to the one uh, bathroom on the campsite or finding like a secret spot when you're really out there. I did that once, had like a mouse run across my foot as I was trying to do a little bit of pee, and that was horrible. Don't recommend. I, I mean, I, I still enjoy the great outdoors, but I, I do love a convenient bathroom. I think humans really nailed that. So uh, back to the moth. Uh, basically, when the, the back to the moth, back to the sloth, when the sloth descends to poop, uh, the moth can then lay its eggs in the sloth poop. So the moth hops off of the sloth, lays its eggs in the sloth poop, and that is where the new generation of, of 
moths will hatch. And then those, uh, as the sloth is doing its business pooping, the new generation of moths, the moth larvae, can actually crawl onto the sloth. Uh, and so the sloth gains these passengers, and these are helpful passengers. This is a mutualistic symbiotic relationship where the sloth provides the moth a home, and the moths provide the sloths. Well, it's a it's like a complicated symbiosis, right? Because it involves at least three organisms, where it's the sloth, the moth, and the algae. And so the moth helps grow the algae, which helps the sloth, and the sloth provides a home for the moths. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful relationship. It's a polycule, a natural polycule. So um, there have been other explanations proposed for why sloths descend all the way to poop. Uh, and there, none of these are mutually exclusive. They could all be factors. So one is that like maybe they want to go down so that they make less noise. I guess if they pooped from the tree, it might make a plopping sound and they don't want to be conspicuous. Another theory is that it's a social activity, a way to meet other sloths, other sexy singles in your area. I do love a singles bar just called uh, the poop floor where you get over all of your embarrassments and hangups from the beginning because you all, all go just, you know, to poop on the forest floor and meet other sloths. Uh, that's great for them. I'm really happy for them. Anyways, that'll do it for our listener questions episode. If you have a question that you would like me to answer, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. I am also accepting submissions of pet photos for me to look at. And it's not like a contest. You don't win anything. You don't really gain anything at all by sending me these photos. But guess what I get? A bunch of cute photos of animals. So, hey, works out for me. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying this show and you leave a rating or a review, they really help. They really do. They tell the algorithm, hey, Mr. Algorithm, this show is decent. Uh, and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exo Lumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Look, I'm not a narc. I won't tell on you if you listen to it in some weird alternative platform. That's you, man. You do you. See you next Wednesday. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. 
a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.